are 693 days until the 2024 presidential election. Uh, Before we start, I want to say simply that um, I am very grateful that Brittany Griner is home. And it is without qualification a very good thing that we got you back. So welcome home. Um, yeah, there's no, I like, there's literally no other conversation to have about that. Uh, cause I can't, I can't even handle the hypocrisy and the misogyny and racism and all the other stuff that goes along with it. So today, hi, Danielle. Haven't seen you a bit. Hi. How's it going? I mean, we have seen each other. <laughs> we have in person. IRL. Okay. I'll never do that again. I promise. It's, that was terrible. Um, but yeah, it's been a while since you've been here. I know you've been really busy. Jen, hello. I'm so happy to have you eating, um, as many other people are, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and forgive me, there, there's sun glinting off the building across from me. So if I look like I'm irradiated, that's why. <laughs> if I look like I'm going blind, I am. <laughs> anyway, um... There are a couple of things I just want to get out of the way before we start diving in uh, to our conversation about Twitter and this massive, massive reporting by Talking Points Memo about the insane number of texts that were exchanged between Mark Meadows, then chief of staff, and an insane number of Republicans who were like all in on illegally and unconstitutionally overturning the results of the election in Arizona so they could uh, also illegally and unconstitutionally hand the presidency to Donald Trump. I mean, it's just, it's quite remarkable. Um, And a couple of things. But first, I just just saw a couple of uh, reports that I I wanted to mention. We could talk about them later, but I I, I think it's, uh, one is just I'm, I'm curious about. Uh, Diane Feinstein is 89 years old. She has un- she's uh, her term ends in November 2024, so two years, give or take. And she has stated that she's definitely not stepping down before then, and she hasn't yet decided if she's running for a re-election. At which point she'll be 91. So I I say this without judgment. I'm literally curious is is that okay um i know that sounds horribly ageist but i don't mean it you know part of it guys is that clearly there's some uh diminishment of functioning for some people and we've heard reports i mean i don't think charles grassley who's 88 should have the actuarial tables tell us that this is not necessarily a good time to to start another six-year term but the other part of it is just on a human level. Like I want, I don't know. I want people to be like, you know what? I did my work and now I'm going to go do other things as I end my life. Essentially. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, how many people live past 89? I know I've known very few people. And that doesn't mean like you can't have uh, that, that those years you have remaining to, you can't be full of meaning. Of course they can. So please do something else. <laughs> I don't know. Am I, am I, Danielle, am I being judgmental? No, I I mean, 
I think that we oftentimes talk about the fact that, you know, not only is Congress uh, and the Senate in particular not representative of the population just based on racial demographics, but I think that when we look at who is making decisions about this country, you're looking at, you know, octanagerians and, and, and now I don't even know what you call a 90-year-old, um, but old. A right? nonagerian. Like, no, a nonagerian, no, whatever. Something I don't like want to know that you're still <laughs> holding on to your job, right? Yeah. Because at some at some point in time, um, I like let it go. And what we realize in this country is that people don't ever want to let go of power. They never want to let go of their prestige. It doesn't matter how old they are. And this isn't, you know, I think that her being 91, Grassley being 89. You know, they have no he'll be 90. Real, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, he'll he'll be 94 when his current term ends. But they have no real clear real life experience with what people are facing in this country now. They've they been just, there forever. They, they just right. they just don't. They have they are so deeply out of touch. Um, the world has so has changed. And frankly, like at some point, I, I wish that they would cap people out. You know, and and say like, not at sixty five or seventy or anything like that, but saying that you're eighty five years old and you're seeking a six year term reelection, like that just seems crazy. There have got to be people who are literally half your age that should be taking on this job and this position. Right, and and you know what? Uh, another thing about that is there are people at age sixty being pushed out being forced into retirement so you know we don't have to keep increasing their wages so i think it's completely fair to say especially as you said danielle when you're in a position of power making decisions for tens of millions of other people that i don't think it's ungenerous to say it you know at 80 you that's the last that's as old as you can be when you run again i'm not even saying you have to quit at 80 like you know so so jenna maybe it's obtuseness on my part but um i i also I wonder about not just um, uh, kind of capping the age, but term limits maybe. Um, because again, as Danielle said, like what, how much life experience can you get? Um, and I've even wondered at this about President Biden, quite honestly. He, he's been in government forever. And it does, I mean, granted he's held different positions, although he was in the Senate for decades. And, you know, I think it's, it's, it's valuable uh, to go out and do something else. And and I also, Jen, look at what Democratic leadership did in the House. It's like, yep, that's that's what you do. You say, I've had my time. We're all in our 80s now. We're 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 passing the baton. We're passing the torch to the next generation of leadership, which is younger and more representative. So um kind of being legalistic, but thinking about what both of you are talking about, where I go is from a legal and democratic perspective, who should decide? Mm -hmm. Like I, I hear what you're saying. And there are instances, regardless of age, where someone is not, doesn't have the capacity to serve. And right. there are different mechanisms, um, for removal and one is the the ballot box and the other would be 
um, pressure from leadership. So let's talk about it in reverse order. Pressure from leadership would be taking someone off committees. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they can do less damage, which should have been done years ago when it was clear that Feinstein wasn't really all there. The other thing is, um, is the part, you know, running someone against her. Did anyone ever primary her? Because yeah. the party could support a primary candidate. And, you know, my concern about, you know, I look at what the U.S. Constitution says in terms of qualifications for Senate and House. There aren't any. Other well, than the age, age qualification yeah. is there. Yeah. And then the question is, and I don't know from a legal matter whether that's something Congress could change or whether that would require a constitutional amendment. Now, let's talk about term limits. I, t- I, I'm concerned about term limits because for many instances, there are people who may have made it into the Senate. You look at someone like Ted Kennedy mm-hmm. or you look at someone like Elizabeth Warren and they may you know, spend a lifetime serving things yeah. like progressive causes. Furthermore, in some mm-hmm. states, even if I might not agree with the values of a particular state, their senator is the only reason why maybe that state gets any voice. Yeah. And so what I would think is my approach would be, first of all, if we care about democracy, this is is kind of tangential, but it's related. D.C. needs to be a state. They need representation. Um, And people in the state of California need the Democratic Party to run some, should have had someone run someone against Feinstein years ago. That's how you have these conversations. Yeah, I I don't disagree. Where is is Chuck Schumer? Well, I I mean, who knows? There are so many instances. And, you know, we talked about uh, this vis-a-vis something else that I can't remember off the top of my head. But I oh, no, I was I was uh, giving an interview and I was asked about um, something the Biden administration did. And my position is always there's so much I don't know as a private citizen. Who knows what goes on behind the scenes? Who knows what those closed door conversations are? Who knows what the threats are? Or the who knows? Um, and I think sometimes you do have to be careful that you're you're not having certain kinds of accusations leveled at you. But I do I do have to say that I'm sort of resentful that um, that there would have to be a primary challenge because you know I just like look at things like recounts and when people refuse to concede and it, the m- millions of dollars we waste on things like this, when clearly Feinstein should just be saying I'm done, uh, you know, partially because the idea of going through a, a, a nonsensical, in my view, election or primary uh, is, I don't know, it's just not tenable. But the other thing is that uh, it's, it's not that Democrats should be worried uh, we're going to lose a seat, but California deserves a more liberal senator than she is, um, <laughs> right? Because, like Danielle, like you were saying, it not only is she kind of because of life experience, but she she does not any longer share the values of her constituents because she's not a. It doesn't seem to me like she's evolved. No, and it doesn't, and, and we have to understand that a lot of the things that the daily. Tribu- trials and tribulations that we all face, like they're above 
right? So, if, you know, in, in terms of access, in terms of resources, they're above. But I think that, you know, why don't we have conversations about the fact that you need to be 35 in order to run for the presidency, right? Uh, 65 is the age of retirement. Republicans want to raise that to 70, right? So they can squeeze a little bit more work out of people before they're able to access Social Security um, and, uh, and, and other uh, entitlements. And so why don't we talk about a cap, right? Like as a realistic thing and saying that, sure, we're all living longer, right? But that doesn't mean that we're all have the same faculties that we're all actually together. And so if at 75 or 80, you have to, and, and this is these are things that I thought about driving, for instance, just because you get a license at, you know, 17 years old, doesn't mean that at 85, you should still be driving, right? Like yeah. there needs to be some, and again, but I agree with Jen, you know, who is doing the assessment, who is doing the evaluation, who is calling for, you know, for these things where it doesn't seem ageist or sexist or, you know, any of these other issues. And so, but I'm like, who came up with the decision that 35 had to be the age to run for the presidency and not 30, that 65 was the age for retirement instead of 60, right? Like these are conversations that as people are living longer, we need to be asking, and what does the evaluation look like, right? At 75 to make sure you know, you you still all there, right? Like every everything working in the way that it should. Right. Well, I mean, a bunch of white slaveholders came up <laughs> with these numbers. And also what's weird is that back then 35 was old, it was like middle aged. And now it's now it's really it's young, you know, so it just shows you how um, uneven human evolution is. It's just like human development that we evolve more quickly in some ways than in others. And the idea that, okay, we're living longer, so we should suffer longer and we should be older before we get to start enjoying the fruits of our labor. It is so human that instead, you know, instead of saying, well, you know, we're living longer, so why don't we make it possible for people to have more years to enjoy <laughs> than instead of, Let's make you work until you're ready to drop dead and can't enjoy anything anymore. Uh, so, you know, clearly that's a different issue from what's ha what we're talking about with the Senate. But it just it sort of points to the double standard. Uh, you know, yeah. um, Americans have to have what is the fucking, the minimum federal minimum wage is seven dollars and twenty five cents. And it has been such since the 90s, which I find so deeply cruel. Um Members of Congress get uh, a cost of living increase every year, I believe, or to keep up with inflation or whatever. Um, what do members of Congress make? One hundred and seventy thousand dollars a year. Right? Can now? I interrupt you and just say that for um, for people who work in restaurants, it's not seven twenty five an That's hour. Right. And this is very much a legacy of involuntary servitude and slavery. Who are the people who do that kind of work? Yep, and also I think home health care. You know, there's other. There, I, mean, I might be wrong about that, but if you look at, there really isn't one fair wage. Nope. I would like. So anyway, it, it really that burns me a lot. I mean, I, just, I mean, thankfully, states, some states have uh, higher minimum wages, but I, I just literally can't imagine living 
well, not especially if you have children, it's absolutely in- obscene. And, you know, it's the same thing with healthcare. Like these people who have healthcare guaranteed, very good healthcare guaranteed for life, make decisions about whether the rest of us should have healthcare. And I'm not, obviously, there's nothing to do with Feinstein. I'm just saying that there's always a double standard. The rules don't, that they apply to us do not apply to them. So I think these are all conversations worth having about capacity, who makes those decisions, and why we're in so many ways still stuck with decisions that were made 240 years ago, just, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, just, and, and it, Danielle, it's a really good point. Like, usually when we think about that, we think about uh, you know, the Electoral College, well, that wasn't even in the Constitution. But, you know, what I'm saying we think we think about kind of more broad issues. But, you know, that's that matters, too. And like we don't ever revisit these things because, well, you know, it's in the Constitution. Well, that's a shitty reason not to change something, guys. Uh, anyway, uh, so that that caught my attention. And this is something that's kind of fallen out of the news, I guess. And this is this is something that happens when Democrats win, we kind of drop our guard. And don't get me wrong, there's so much to pay attention to. But uh, this is sort of a, it's ancillary to the the Twitter discussion, but it, it also, um, I want to jump from this, the conversation I'm going to, uh, sorry, the, the point I want to make about something that's happening in Florida right now to this whole idea of what it means to be conservative. Uh, There's this horrible human being named Bruce Friedman, who's from New York, but he's moved down to Florida, probably because DeSantis is open to his cruelty and insanity. And he's on a mission to get 3,600 books banned from uh, the public libraries down in Florida. And these are books about, um, you know, LGBTQ issues and uh, adolescent romance and race and self-acceptance and because these are apparently all terrible things <laughs> in, in the view of this really deeply damaged person who just cannot handle the thought that his teenage son would read a book about two girls who who have romantic feelings for each other. I mean, it's just like the the dangerousness of banning books cannot be overstated and um you know i just want to remind everybody that that's it's not like that went away because the republicans didn't win as big as they were supposed to in the midterms so it's not that there's necessarily much to say about it other than that but we can't drop our guard on these things and i guess part of it too is that one that at least in florida i i I assume it's different from say state but in florida just as soon as one person brings a challenge about one book, that book gets taken off the shelf. I, I, mean, I mean, go ahead, Daniel. I, I'll say the other day I interviewed um, a, a school board member of Brevard County in Florida uh, who back in 2021 had written a piece in the Washington Post about um, oh, I don't know, the domestic terrorism that she was facing because she decided to run for school board um, had a, as a Democrat and unseated um, a, a Republican. And she was talking about not only the violence that she was facing, but the fact that thousands of books uh, have been banned, that, you know, that it's a coordinated, and here's the thing that people need to understand about the book banning 
as well as what is happening at the school board level and how Republicans have been able to weaponize it, is that there is a coordinated effort, like a, a, a ground level campaign that is put together by Republican political action committees to bring people in from out of state friends who don't even live in the counties to disrupt school board meetings, to make it seem like they are parents that are outraged. They are provided with scripts, right? To be able to stand up in the middle of school board meetings and, and run off at the mouth. These are people who do not even live in the counties that they're going to disrupt these meetings. Mm -hmm. And so what, what, um, what the person that I interviewed was saying was that, um, you know, Ron DeSantis made an entire campaign around, you know, taking back the schools. And she said 70% of the school boards before Ron DeSantis ever started on this crusade are run by fucking Republicans anyway. They're just not extremist crazies in the way that he wants them to be. But that had been the norm for a Democrat to win was kind of like unheard of. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so you know, these conversations, it, it isn't just about, to your point, Mary, about Democrats dropping the ball. I have said for so many years as a former educator, I taught first and second grade and then went into education policy, which is what I did on the Hill for, for several years. K through 12 public education is the biggest proponent of spreading white supremacy and patriarchy and misogyny in this country. And what our children learn and who controls their curriculum matters, right? Yeah. It isn't just yeah. about the erasure of BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, people of color, or queer people in this color. It is about creating uh, Republican state-led propaganda, yeah. right, that upholds white supremacy in really dangerous ways. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that Democrats still haven't come up with the pushback to this, this is what allowed Glenn Youngkin to become governor in Virginia after yep. Democrats had worked for so long to turn Virginia blue. Yep. And now it's back to red again because yep. parents should have control, right? So I, I, I'm glad that you brought it up because it is a conversation that isn't had. And when we tell people that they need to vote, we don't just mean at the federal level. Right. Yeah. And, and that's... <clears throat> That's something that gets lost. And I, I, I'm glad you brought up Virginia because that is something that still makes me so angry. First of all, this decision not to engage because nobody knows what CRT is. Well, yes, exactly. That's part of the problem. Nobody knows what it is. So it can be used as a cudgel uh, to ignorant white people who, you know, don't refuse to acknowledge racism in this country. So yes, you need to not just explain, explain what it is, but I'll say it's not taught. It's not taught anyway. So this is, this is absolutely um, just a, a, a tactic uh, to um, create an, a problem that doesn't exist in voters mind. And by the way, and this wasn't said once during that entire campaign, by the way, Glenn Youngkin is a horrible racist. Nobody said that because it was, as Democrats often do, it's like, you know what? We don't want to go there. Really? You don't want to go there. Mm -mm. Why? Um, so, Jen, 
it's all it all it does all kind of feel like it's of a piece. We 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 don't want to go there. And next thing you know, um, they're teaching revisionist American history in schools. They're not allowing uh, the word gay to be used mm -hmm. in, in elementary schools, even if the teacher's gay or the children's parents are gay or whatever. I mean, it's just it's it's the slippery slope that gets slippery slipperier and slopier whatever that word is um because we don't engage as soon as the battle has been joined on the other side uh so and the other thing that's sort of maddening and i i also do want you to point to the good news that you uncovered is that um all of this stuff you know these the stances on the right get uh, included under the umbrella of the word conservative mm-hmm I, you know, so Jen, if you want to talk about that, but also give us your good news. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sort of hard to sort through all of, all of this because, you know, you use the word conservative and I think, you know, I, I had a kind of a classical education. I mm -hmm. went to, I was fortunate enough that my parents could afford to send me to a private school in the Midwest. I can't do that for my kids. Um, and at that school, for whatever reason, maybe because it was late 70s, early to mid 80s, a lot of the teachers were former hippies who went into teaching. And our parents kind of wanted us to be well educated and read widely. And there was no state curriculum and there was no, you know, sort of group of people who didn't know about teaching, telling teachers what to do. So we read widely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wonder if some of these people have ever even read, you know, William Shakespeare, you know, <laughs> I mean, and how you even can go about reading any, any books, whether it is the Western literary tradition, or more widely across the globe and, and modern, um, in modern books, how can you even have a conversation about, you know, The Bluest Eye or mm -hmm. Gatsby or Virginia Woolf or Shakespeare without digging into historical context or, or even George Bernard Shaw. I mean, how can you talk about, you know, a play like Major Barber without talking about the Fabian Society and socialism? How do you even become an educated person in this world without context? So, you know, that's, I mean, I have conservative educational values and I think um, how dare you flout them and make people feel but bad. About I also think I also think, you know, science is important, too, and math. And anyway, so let me so let me all of this is to say, you know, what are the part of having a representative democracy is deciding what things the voters will decide and that what they don't. So, you know, voters get to elect school boards and school boards have a certain role. Um but school boards should, you know, don't get to decide, don't get to go into the nurse's office at school and say whether the nurse can give Tylenol or Advil. I mean, they're play, you know, in other words, and the same thing should be this, you know, with this. So we, you know, we should allow citizens and communities to run for the school board. But at the end of the day, teachers need a lot of autonomy for what goes on in their classroom. And I'm a very much hands off the teachers, except if they are violating the law by or doing something to be exclusionary or non-inclusive. I mean, the goal of education is to make students think, not just to jam information into their head, to help them be lifelong learners, 
to, to allow for the flourishing of the society. And I don't know, I, I just wish that it, we could have those kinds of conversations instead of these idiots with their sound bites. And Mary, I'd be delighted if critical race theory were taught in elementary or high school. Well, not um, elementary. It's, very, it's a pretty advanced. It's legal nothing. Theory. Advanced. Well, it's not critical but, but, race theory. Well, a, what I'm saying is, yeah, if if students if students have the capacity, some students can learn calculus as a young. Okay, maybe. Well, let, let's, let's anyway. But I but I don't. But part of this is what you're saying, which is I don't want to be on their playground of saying, well, we're not even doing that, as if it's a right. bad thing. No, no, no. That, I agree. That I agree with. Like I maybe but I was I'm too not, young it, to learn about the Holocaust when I was nine years old, but that's how it's done. Wait, but, you know, but I'm, I'm not I learned saying... about yeah. How can you not learn about slavery as soon as you learn about American history? Of course, but uh, that's critical race theory is a separate. And I'm not saying we don't teach it because it's bad. I'm saying, but we don't do that. It just simply doesn't happen. So that is just a lie. That's all. Well, no, I mean, but, it, it, without... let me just be clear. It's not students don't learn pedagogy. They don't learn uh, educational theory, but the teachers who are teaching and making choices about how do you teach about the Civil War, they themselves, those teachers might be steeped in how do you include perspectives accurately. So I just want to be clear because what happens is the people on the right will come out and say, how come this teacher was studying critical race theory? What is she doing with the students? Well, teachers study all kinds of pedagogy. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, but that's what oh, they were doing, okay. though. Listen, that's what think, they're doing. Okay, I think this is a this is a subject that deserves much more more time and attention. Mm -hmm. My my point is simply, not that this was my point, but what I wanted to say now <laughs> is that teachers are professionals and should be treated treated as such. Um, you know, uh, parents and students aren't clients. <laughs> you know, students are students, teachers are teachers. Uh, they should be also be paid better. And, you know, the idea that like in, in Florida, DeSantis is letting anybody who wants to be a teacher, even without an advanced degree, can be a teacher. That just like get, that that just helps them destroy the profession and then opens up the opportunities to degrade it even further and then say, well, you know, teachers aren't really good at their job. So parents should be hauling it or whatever. So it is a mess. And I'm again, I'm not a, Critical race theory is a very specific thing. I think that children should be taught American history as it happened um, through, yes, through, you know, history is, 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 is not, um, is not simple. Uh, there are perspectives, uh, but, you know, yes. Uh, and I don't make, I'm not a teacher, so I don't make these decisions. Teachers figure out when children are ready to learn about slavery, when they are ready to learn about the Holocaust. That's not my, that is not something that I should be involved in deciding or that any parent should be because that is uh, about pedagogy and um, how children, our children should be educated. So uh, again, a much larger conversation. My point was simply about um, seeding ground uh, when we shouldn't and, um, you know, ending up in a position where we're we're fighting a, a multi-front war uh, because we let a lie slide and didn't call it what it was. Because again, I critical race theory is awesome. The fact of the matter is, it is not taught in schools, and the person who was using it in this case, Yunkin, as a uh, as a campaign tactic, 
is a racist. That's what that was. That was my point. And not to say that was was irresponsible in my view. Right. I know you have to head to the White House. Uh, so uh, just jump in and um, let us know what's going on. Cub reporter. <laughs> well, today, it's the same Sarah, same uh, uh, sex marriage act that's going to be signed on the South Lawn. It's going to be a huge crowd um, marking once again uh, something that uh, <laughs> that no other administration has been able to pull off. And that will be uh, codified and signed by the president today. And it's probably one of the uh, largest things that's going to happen. And by gun, they're just not real great at telling us all about it yet again. <laughs> but it's, it's their they're, they're messaging stinks, but their actions. I don't know. Is that strong. true? I think they've been. Yeah, their, me- their messaging could be a lot better. There are a lot of people who have no idea what. Yeah, you know, I go, I'm in a hurry. I got to go down. There. These are people yeah. on the news who should know. And they're going, well, what's going on? It's just the White House. And I'm going, wow. Yeah, it's yeah, okay. like this you need to know, it's like with the infrastructure bill. So that's uh, and then at the same time, the White House is trying to prepare for a, I think um, Joe Biden is going to take this a week, as he said he would in his press conference a couple of weeks ago and talk to his wife. I think she had one of those. We have to talk moments with him and decide what he's going to do after the first of the year. And at the same time, I think you know, whether he's going to run or not. And I think a lot of that will be part and parcel on what the DOJ does. And it's looking more and more every day like the DOJ is going to uh, probably indict Donald Trump for something. So that's uh, uh, it's it's moving closer and closer to that. Too many qualifications in that sentence. My well, friend. I think that the special I, I really I, I have said for a while, I think he's going to get indicted. I think the indictment is pending and is coming sooner than. And I think the addition of the special counsel only only uh, sends that home. As I said, it wasn't he didn't have to do any. He didn't have to form a committee. He didn't have to get investigators. <clears throat> he came in yeah. after the investigation. He's got one job to do, and I think he's going to do it. And I think Donald Trump is really going to be. Yeah. And as, as as Danielle said, that's that that's was my prediction. Actually, I predict I, I still say that come January 6th, I would not be surprised if on the anniversary of January 6th, Donald Trump got the worst present that he could ever get for the new year and that is an indictment it would be fitting it would be absolutely fitting in fact i think there will be people cheering from the rafters (laughs) so yes as i said not too long ago i will send every nerd adventure champagne so we can toast on air if it were to happen on january absolutely I said and the country's going to run out of beer. If yes. <laughs> well, see, and if Donald Trump can make a dime off of it, he will. <laughs> I don't know how he'll do it. Maybe he should sell some Trump steaks and champagne in advance. Well, and, I don't and know kill you, everybody. I, I will tell you this. I got an email from him today. I'm going to do something I've never done before. Was how the email started off, and I said, "What? Well, tell the truth." truth? Yeah. And, but, <laughs> just, I don't yeah, but, well, he's going to do a personal video for a winner. I'm going to enter that just to see. Give me a personal. Brian, video. can I cut you off, even though I don't want to? Which is, I just want to make note that January sixth is a Friday. Yes, so that would yeah. be fucking perfect. Jack, Jack Smith, are you listening? Yeah. Well, can you imagine what the weekend will be at Mar-a-Lago? There'll be no ketchup and no clean. I don't care about the weekend at Mar-a-Lago. I care about what our weekends are going to be like. Yeah, Danielle's so, supplying the champagne. That, 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 oh, and the only other thing to catch up on is Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, Tara <laughs> Duplin was banned from Twitter for a week for uh, making fun, well, for poking fun at Marjorie Taylor Greene because of her but that's like, about butt plugs. 
that it's impossible not to make them. Uh, <laughs> I'm so confused. It was Marjorie Taylor Greene who mentioned them. So yes, but it was Tara Dublin who who said you know <laughs> said something <laughs> caustic about it, called her a skank, and for that oh. she was <laughs> she wasn't lying. <laughs> you know, hey, <laughs> so. She she ought to be an honorary nerd avenger just for that. <laughs> so you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and, and that's coming. You know, the chickens are coming home to roost. And I don't know. You might see her in a position of leadership next year in the House, which would always be. It, uh, all I can say is, wow. <laughs> well, so, as we wind into Christmas, man, it's getting nuts. But it's always been that way. Yeah. Um. I. You know the the whole. <laughs> Marge, I keep forgetting to have sunglasses. Well, my, I'm going to um, go down to the White House today I, dressed like this. Oh, well, oh. fancy. Are you going to Venice after the White House? Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be carnival soon. Not yes. really. I Why just, are you doing that? Is that for the gay marriage thing or what? Well, that, no, that's just for the, the protesters out front. <laughs> oh, nice. Because <laughs> so, so there'll be plenty of the uh, the Trumplicans who will be out there screaming and ranting and raving as they always do. Oh, those along poor, those poor straight people who don't have any rights in America? Yeah. yeah. And, and along with the evangelical with his big long horn that he likes to, it's the, it's, it's kind of like the shofar, but it's not, it's, it's his own. Uh, variation and he'll sit out there and tweet it and tell us we're all going to hell. So, well, you know, it's always fun to walk into the white house under those circumstances. That's why I don't believe in hell. Uh, personally, well, but although parts of Los Angeles are close. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, I like to these people, you know, about, about uh, marriage equality and abortion rights. I say, give me your case against without mentioning religion and they can't do it. So I don't not. care what they have to say. Even if they're blowing a shofar. <laughs> or especially if, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the big longhorn is. I asked him one time and he, he called it his, I don't know, his noogie noogie or something. I don't know what it, what he called it. but <laughs> Oh, it might be that Australian thing. I, I think it's this one particular reporter's personal horn. That okay, he, then. Yeah. I, um. Well, as riveting as it would be to go down that particular rabbit hole, um, I want to, uh, you know, you mentioned Green, uh, whom I despise talking about, quite honestly, but here we are. Uh, she is, I think, in many ways, the one of the, if not the de facto leaders of the freaking Republican Party, certainly the leader in the House. Um, and I was talking to somebody recently that uh, who, who mentioned that, um, you know, she'd spoken to some of Green's constituents and and they support her wholeheartedly and are willing to put up with her uh, egregiousness and, and her cruelty because she was treated so badly by being removed from her committees. <laughs> OK, so that in a way in a way uh, leads me to Twitter. Um, I think we're we're kind of at a uh, or we're close to a turning point with Twitter. It's getting, it's becoming a more dangerous place. Um, it's been an unpleasant place increasingly since what's his name took over. Um, yeah, what is that guy's name? I don't know. Some, some total loser. Um, and there was a, the plumb line uh, was grappling with this issue in a recent article it was either today or yesterday. And, um, you know, 
I I agree with the the sentiment that shaming people on the right is an absolute waste of time. Being outraged by them is a waste of time. They like it. I mean, that's why they're, they're doing it to make us angry and upset. They have no shame. Um, I think well, at the, the at, comment should tell you that right there. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, any doubts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're they're thin skinned bullies and um, they just they 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 like it when we then when we react to them. So don't block, you know, blocking is there for a reason, at least for now. Um, but at the at the outset, we need to be really clear that we're in an information war. And all of the misinformation and disinformation is coming from that side of things. And that's the side that Elon Musk is on. Well, he has a real un, not he doesn't have an understanding of what free speech is. No. And most people who follow him have no idea of what free speech is. And there is the First Amendment and then there's, there's the spirit of free speech. And his idea of free speech is I you can speak whatever you want unless I disagree with it. That's not free speech. That that's demagoguery. And he doesn't think criticism is free speech. He thinks no, free speech yeah, or yeah, parody. If you criticize someone, then that has to be silenced or something. Well, he, silenced him, the, I mean. he silenced the first person who posted a video about him getting booed at the Dave Chappelle show. Then everybody else jumped in and started in what's he gonna do? Ban, you know, a million people mm-hmm. after that. So he, he kind of had to let up. But the the point is, is, you know, the, the idea of free speech, and it's mistaken by a lot of people. You know, the, the sentiment is, I disagree with what you say, and but will defend to death your right to say it. That means you have to tolerate someone screaming at the top of their lungs that which you would stand uh, and, and and argue against at the top of your lungs. That's That's just the way it is. You cannot specifically go after someone and say, hurt them. You can't run into a theater and yell fire when there is none. There are right, well, so there's, so there's a difference between speech in, in uh, the public square and privately in a speech yes, in a privately absolutely. held company. So, you know, the, what the, the issue there is, uh, yes, uh, what's his name can let people say whatever they want and he can block anybody for saying things he doesn't like. It's a privately held company exactly. and, and we can decide to stay or not stay or, and it's disgusting and he can decide to get rid of uh, anybody who is um, vetting uh, hate speech and, and let people be as despicable as they want. And, you know, and that's sort of where we are um, with it's Twitter. He knows no bounds. Right. But but it's not just hypocrisy. I mean, it's it's similar to when and again, you know, he was a a public official. But and when Donald goes after somebody, it's very different from a private citizen going after another private citizen. When Musk goes after Fauci or anybody, Kathy Griffin on Twitter yeah. And let's say that half of his followers are are bots. Well, that still leaves him with over 50 million actual human beings who are followers of his. Um, when he goes after private citizens, it leads it potentially leads to real violence when he is the one echoing uh, disinformation, uh, like about Paul Pelosi, uh, when he is the one uh, who is... Um, Bye, bye, Brian. Uh, when he's the one who is um, 
attacking people uh, for criticizing him or it's it's just a different it carries a different weight because he has so much unearned power and he's clearly you know the Dahlia wrote a piece a real a great piece recently about how we're all sort of enthralled to these malignant narcissists and can it please stop but it's it's actually worse than that because the malignant narcissists are also uh, prepubescent boys uh, who want to be cool and aren't. <laughs> so it's go, go ahead, Daniel. No, I was just going to say, you know, I, I was thinking back to to what Brian said about again, you know, Elon Musk doesn't know what free speech is, and and I continue to say that we need to stop treating these egomaniacs um, uh, as if they are adolescents or toddlers, because the reality is is that Elon Musk knows exactly what he's doing. He is weaponizing a social media platform in order to, one, center himself, kind of in the same way that Kirsten Sinema wanted to change the narrative and say that she's an independent because mm -hmm. she really loves the headlines and she loves being talked about. So mm -hmm. does Elon Musk. And so he knows what he's doing when he says, you know, when he um, says hateful, nasty things at Dr. Fauci. He wants Fauci to, yes. um, to be threatened. He wants, you know, he wants the people who he does not like to be harmed. And he wants to mm -hmm. use this platform and his voice uh, in the same way that Donald Trump did to threaten witnesses that were coming mm -hmm. against him and stating exactly what it was that he was doing while he was president of the United States. And so when we say, oh, they're too stupid or they don't know what they're doing or blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, no, because we infantilize these men. And mm -hmm. the fact is, is that white rich men get to be perpetual adolescents. Right. Mm -hmm. And and we and we want to believe that they are both geniuses and then incompetent and they get to right. hold both of these both of these titles at the same time. And I think it's bullshit. And so, yep. like, you know, I think I just read it was it was this morning uh, that the person that Elon Ma, that the person at Twitter uh, who was in charge of regulating hate speech mm -hmm. has been under grave threat because of Elon Musk tweeting at him. Right. He has been under grave threat and like may have to move. That right? is a this pedophile. Is, because, right. Yeah. And this is this is what happened to Dr. Uh, Christina Blasey Ford, who came mm -hmm. out against Brett Kavanaugh. This is what happened to those uh, poll workers down in Georgia. Right. Is the ability for these people with grandiose platforms and a lot of wealth and maleness and cisness and whiteness to be able to weaponize uh, the masses. Right. And then they get to say, oh, well, it wasn't anything that I said that caused the shooting in Buffalo or the shooting at Club Q or, you know, the attack on Paul Pelosi or any of these things. And it is it is willfully ignorant and neglectful of mainstream media to not connect the dots between yeah. the rhetoric that is being used and sent out to hundreds of millions of people and then the actions that their foot soldiers are taking on the ground, whether it be the insurrection or a mass shooting. It is the same shit. And we just refuse to connect the dots. Yeah, listen, the fact that the mainstream, the new fucking New York Times, I'm so over them here. I mean, I haven't for a long time, but it just gets worse and worse. Literally wrote an article saying we can't quite figure out where Elon Musk is coming from. What are his politics? And like five seconds later, he's like, my pronouns. Yes, let's take a dig at the incredibly vulnerable trans community, you scumbag. <laughs> Not trans, you know, uh, what am I saying? Um, gender fluidity and and trans people and yeah, non-binary. Thank exactly. you. That's the word I was looking for. Let's let's 
attack them in a not at all subtle way. Uh, my pronouns are prosecute Fauci. So let's stop pretending that we don't know what his not yours. I are. mean, in case people don't know, you meant that's what Elon was saying. Yes. Yes. No, I know that. You, yeah. I don't know what you're referring to. Sorry. No, when you said my pronouns are. Oh, sorry. Yes, Fauci, thank you so you're much. Quoting Elon. A, yes, I, I know. I quote. know that. I was hoping that people would just know that. But yes, thank you for that. Um, and I just want to clarify something um, because you're right. I mean, the, these people deserve no benefit of the doubt. These people do not deserve to inhabit both the genius and incompetent space. But there is something particularly maddening about and, and by saying they're prepubescent boys who want to be cool. I'm not I'm not at all diminishing their intention because this is all quite intentional. My point is that that is playing to a particular audience that also uh, is exists in mainstream media. Like it, like anybody, there, there's just no question about what's going on here. So the sort of the waffling, well, what is, what's, what's happening with Elon Musk? We don't really know is it's impossible to say that unless you're, you're kind of uh, buying into it, I think. So, um, my question about this, you know, the real question is, what do we do about it here? Because um, other than framing it properly in a way the mainstream media won't do, we also have a choice to make as individuals. Um, now, again, I think that being out, like, I don't, I don't talk about, I don't mention him on Twitter ever. Um and uh, because it's, you know, I hate to say it, but it's his it's his space now. And I don't want to fuel any of it. Um, we have to talk about him outside of Twitter because, you know, Twitter is still an important thing uh, <laughs> and we can't pretend otherwise. But I also, you know, somebody in that same plumb line article um this guy named Masnick, I, I don't remember what outlet he's from, but I'll, I'll find it, put it in the show notes. Um, I'll just link to the Greg Sargent's piece. Um, he basically said that um, we need to, instead of just like attacking and being outraged by Musk's comments about Fauci, for example, we need to acknowledge that there are issues there. And I just don't, you know, so focus on the actual facts. And I don't, I don't recall any facts that Fauci, that there's anything Fauci did for which he should be prosecuted. But I, I guess I could be wrong. Um, save, save Americans' lives. You know, oh, tell, what tell a monster. To, what a monster to tell people to wear masks and to protect our children. So when they were going back to school from remote learning, that they wouldn't die from these. HVAC systems that were put in their fucking buildings when they were, you know, in the 1970s and 80s. What a monster. He is. And I, I, I think that that's that's exactly that's why the whole we need to walk a middle ground. It's almost like I, I was reading something about school shootings and one of the it was like, you know, neither side should use this issue as a I'm like you know what it's like this it's become this knee-jerk response 
among Americans. Like if you want to um, get people to back off or if you want to pretend that there's such a thing as neutrality, you say something like, you know, neither side owns this issue or whatever. Neither side is perfect. You know what? This is this is a problem on the right. And um, the idea of having to walk a fine line to accommodate people like Elon Musk, uh, who is endangering the lives of many people uh, with his not just irresponsible, but as Danielle said, intentional attacks. Um, Now, some of us can because it is it's. Jen, it's not a simple, well, I mean, maybe it is, but on from an outsider's point of view, I don't, I don't know what's going on in his head. Thank God. All I know is that he's really rich, bitch. Because <laughs> apparently that's something that secure, secure men say. And what the fuck was wrong with Dave Chappelle anyway? Jesus. I mean, the trans stuff was, was horrific. And I just saw it like recently. And now Compound he's inviting. Well, I'm not. No, that actually oh. wasn't a question. The question is this. Um, from the outside, it looks like that. Well, no, it is it just as a business uh, strategy. It's a disaster. I mean, Tesla stock is just plummeting day after day. And uh, pretty soon um, Twitter is going to be able to get the kinds of advertisers that uh newsmax gets it to in the morning um but uh that doesn't mean that there isn't another agenda being served here yeah i mean the thing is even when it comes to money after a certain amount of it it's not really about whether you can buy another yacht or another girlfriend or um, an offshore jurisdiction to launder your wealth. At some point, massive wealth is always the measuring stick pissing match contest, anyhow. So, for some people, and for someone like Elon, humiliation is not, is the opposite of what he wants. So he's a bit like your uncle in that. The, the victory is doing what you want, regardless of the consequences, even if it means losing money because he has so damn much. Losing face is more of a risk to him than losing money. So the only way he can walk away, I mean, Tesla stock declining, none of that stuff is going to make him reverse his course in terms of being a complete utter dick on the internet. It's Mm -hmm. so much of who he is. And in fact, he was a rich kid who used his father's money and other resources to buy things. But, you know, look what he invests in, rockets and cars and shutting down speech. So when you say other agenda, it's, you know, yeah, part of it is he wants to yell at and crush liberals. But he also, that he's, he's, um. He's one of these people who I perceive is getting a high and being his whole identity built on humiliating others. And you hear this about the way he was a boss. So mm-hmm. if you th- an employee, so he's not, if, if his investors say, Elon, this isn't doing well, you need to shut up. He's not going to. Right. Yeah. So and- I, I don't know what his exit strategy is. 
um, other than having the place go bankrupt and selling it to I don't think he even wants to let it. I think he, I think it's important that he burn the place to the ground, honestly. Well, uh, and Danielle, not for me, but for him. Right. Right. And, and Danielle, I think part of that is, um, it's just the psychology of who these men are. You could, if you're an Elon Musk with that kind of money and an ability to buy Twitter, or if you're, Donald and you wind up in the Oval Office, you you could become a hero to tens of millions of people by doing good, right? But they're not interested because they don't want to be uh first of all, like who on the who on the left do we um turn into uh cult leaders? Nobody. <laughs> we don't Nobody. use it. And it's not about being lauded, it's not about being a hero, it's it's about being somebody around whom you have cultish followers, right? They want sycophants. They want people down on their knees worshiping them. You know, this is the thing that I tweeted yesterday um, and, and it, on the same lines. And I said, does anyone ever ask the Republican Party why they are so weak and hateful? Why the truth is such a hard pill to swallow and equity for all somehow takes away from them? It's funny how the media always wants to unpack their grief, but not mm -hmm. their depravity. And the reality is, is that they are depraved human beings. Because yep. when I sit around and I think exactly to your point, Mary, about having hundreds of billions of dollars, massive amount of money that you will never be able to spend, not in your lifetime, not in your and not in generations, will you spend that amount of money? And Jen knows because she does this work and this research, you don't amass that kind of money by doing good, right? Nope. You amass that kind of money off the backs of people who you are stealing and extracting wealth from, right? Mm -hmm. So that, that goes into our tax system and how we allow these ultra wealthy to even become ultra wealthy, right? Yep. Because they don't yep. pay their fair share. It's why Elon Musk left Canada to come to the United States so that he would be able to create more of a tax shelter for himself because mm -hmm. of the kind of loopholes that we have. But right. I think that what's important here is that we never have conversations about depravity. We never look at the wholeness of this, uh, of, of this political party, of their ideology that is steeped in cruelty. The, ma the mainstream media continues to talk with these people and talk about bipartisanship as if they have an on-par ideology. Their ideology is about how much and how hard they can oppress others, right? And the, the and Elon Musk and, and, and Donald Trump and these men, I mean, they are so stunted. They are so stunted emotionally and they take out all of their lack of, 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 of self-esteem, of self-worth on others because that's how they feel strong. The basis of Magadam is steeped in white fragility, right? Because they believe that white people are so fucking weak that if you were met with a mirror and the truth, right, then oh my God. You, you know, we can't, like Ron DeSantis said, we got to pass legislation to make sure that white people don't feel bad about themselves because then what the fuck is going to happen, right? So it's like, I wish that we had those conversations instead of just talking about how these people are crazy or, you know, mm -hmm. or how they are geniuses, that we would talk about the depravity, yeah. right? That is a part, that is the basis, that is the foundation, that is their value set, right? And how they are trying to impose that on everyone else and create this 
fear and a loathing and miserable situation for so many so that they can continue to feel grand so that they can feed their egos. Yeah, we absolutely need to keep hammering away at that. That is the conversation and the the fact that it's ne- it is just never breached ever. I it's it's quite something. I mean, we we are living in a time when the case against billionaires is being made on a daily basis by billionaires. Uh the fact also that Twitter at this point isn't being seen as a national security risk is all quite something. I mean, this is a dangerous situation where, uh, you know, it, it almost makes me want to push the envelope and, and see what happens if, uh, you know, I do something ill-advised on Twitter. But, um, y- you know, it does require, it requires united and coordinated action on our part. We just need to figure out what that is. Um, so we're actually, we're about ready to wrap up. Uh, Jen, any last words? I was thinking about what you and Danielle were talking about and thinking, you know, thinking about depravity and thinking about the kind of hoarding behavior when you take so much more than you need. And it's almost like, you know, if you were exceedingly wealthy and you were having a banquet just for the three of us, but we had enough food for a hundred people, let's say, and steaming plates of food. And then we were nibbling at it and there were really, and, and, and people who were serving us were hungry and people outside were hungry and cold and we didn't share it. We didn't even give the leftovers to anybody. We just, you know, dump them, you know, in a place that no one could have them. Now multiply that by hundreds of millions. Mm-hmm. And what he is doing, because he said, I could with just an X number of billion dollars cure hunger in America. I doubt that. But, you know, that when you're hoarding, even if they don't want to pay taxes, they're not giving it to foundations that can solve these problems. He's doing he's doing something to destroy a platform. You have all this money. What is wrong with you that you wouldn't do something to help others have access to the American dream? People claim in the conservative side that they, they think it should be equality of access, not equality of outcomes. But they steal from people the ability mm-hmm. to have access right. by not paying their fair share in taxes or if they think... You know, if they say, well, we can do better in the private sector with charity, then fucking step up. That's not what these people, you know, I think Elon Musk is doing more to destroy the good side of markets and capitalism Mm -hmm. than anyone could. It's that old expression that you've heard in labor union organizing, which is the best union organizer is a bad boss. I mean, he is an (laughs) advertisement for, you know, to say that markets fail. I mean, not that markets are, per- I mean, I'm not somebody to ever believe that markets are perfect, but I'm one of these sort of on balance, there's a role for markets. And my students often get annoyed with me because they think I'm a centrist apologist. And if they only knew how far to the left most people would consider me, but, mm-hmm. but I don't give up on markets. And he's really pushing folks to wonder what the hell went on with this experiment um, yeah. here. And also, let's be clear, people like him are depraved, not because problems they can solve exist and they just, it just never occurs to them. It's because problems exist that they could help solve and they know that they can help solve them. They just like the suffering. That's the depravity, guys. So... That is it for today. Um, this is our, our our last show until the live show next Monday. 
uh, uh, January. When is it? I can't. I don't it's even not know January. It's December nineteenth. <laughs> sold out, so it and it's really gonna be <laughs> in Los Angeles, California, at the Dynasty type. Oh, it's in LA. Thanks it's for in telling LA, me, Mary. So please make sure please to come, Mary. Please, please come. I was going to go there. to Anguilla, but Watch okay. Raj and I will be, you know, waiting backstage until you tell us to come out. And you you, you might be out, there for a while if I go to the wrong gonna... state. Oh, Mary, we have a we have a surprise guest. Am I allowed to say who it is? No. Oh, fuck. Okay, fine. <laughs> I don't I'm know. I'm so excited hmm. though. I should. I maybe our producer should weigh in on whether or not it should. Uh... Hey, producer, should we say nah? Let's keep it a secret. Yeah, we're gonna keep, keep it, it a secret. secret. Um, but it it is a it's up to me. Thank you for the guidance. It's very helpful. <laughs> I'm I'm too tired to Mary, make any decisions. Mary, this is the Mary Trump show, not the producers. I oh, that know, was a that I'm was a tired. movie that was good but did not hold up, actually, in certain ways. I agree. Uh, yeah. Um, and neither did a funny thing happen on the way to the forum, but I still love that movie. Anyway, just because you <laughs> you reminded me of Zero Must Um. Uh, all right, we're going off on tangents that nobody can follow, <laughs> so we're going to end it there. <laughs> Brian Carroll, Daniel Moody, Gentop, thank you all so much for being here, my nerds. I will see you. Actually, I'm not really sure what we're going to do next week because I think Jen and I are going to be on a plane. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we'll yeah. see. It'll we'll be see. fun. We'll figure it oh. out. Oh. Well, maybe we'll have it a special time, but we'll keep you all posted. Okay. Anyway, thanks, guys. I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you to my nerds, Danielle, Jen, and Brian. Um, yeah, this is this is the last show until uh, the live show next Monday at Dynasty Typewriter in Los Angeles. That's at 7.30. I hope to see some of you there. Anyway, you probably all can't go. But hopefully some of you will be there. And uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to keep you posted about what's happening next Tuesday. Uh, we'll figure that out. Um, and we will be having a show this Thursday, our regular interview show at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific at youtube.com slash Politicon. Um, and while you're there at Politicon's YouTube channel, subscribe to Politicon and, um, like the episode, leave a comment if you'd like, click on that bell. That way you will be informed whenever new videos drop. Uh, and, you know, that's it uh, for today. Uh, I Again, I'll keep you posted um, about next Tuesday, but I will see you Thursday night. And in the meantime, please stay safe and be kind.